This is post three. Out of sight cannot mean out of mind. Our lives are plastic wrapped. That's perfectly clear. Truth to be told, plastic is ubiquitous, overt, lining our beaches and highways, spilling out of waste bins, piling up in our fridges and pantries. However, it has also penetrated our lives in ways that we cannot readily see. Microplastics, tiny shards of plastic debris, often invisible to the naked eye, surround us. They are everywhere, likely floating around you as you read this. These plastic specks have been detected in significant numbers in the food we eat, in the water we drink, in the soil in which we grow our food, even in the air we breathe. And we are only beginning to understand their prevalence and what that means for human and environmental health. Here are some facts to illustrate our reality. 94% of tap water in the United States contains plastic fibers. The average person consumes between 74,000 and 121,000 plastic particles per year, according to the American Chemical Society. Those who drink plastic bottled water might ingest an additional 90,000 microplastic pieces annually. Scientists have recently become aware that baby fish are eating microplastics. Not only can microplastics cause harm to the internal organs of aquatic life, in addition, they can leave no room for food, causing the animal to starve to death. Furthermore, hazardous chemicals, often attached to the plastic, are consumed, and their levels can amplify when traveling up the food chain. Microplastics are present in our seafood, salt, sugar, beer, and honey. Microplastics are airborne. They appear to be everywhere. As for our waterways, it's not just a problem in our oceans. Nearly all of the fish tested in a Great Lakes study contained microplastics. The inundation by microplastics into what seems to be every corner of the earth is alarming. Much of this microplastic pollution can be traced to a single source. This is single-use packaging. The Pacific Gyre, once wild and untouched, now consists of plastic bottles, buckets, bags, ketchup packaging, straws and styrofoam bits floating amidst a soup of tiny microplastics. This incredible invasion of the natural world by the slurry of petroleum-based junk is not unique to the Pacific Ocean. Massive floating garbage patches exist in all five oceanic gyres. Today, these currents are inundated with plastic junk, and yet ocean gyres contain only a fraction of the microplastics in the ocean. Microplastics have even been found in the Arctic Ocean and the North Atlantic Ocean in extreme concentrations. After becoming aware of the mass prevalence of microplastics in our oceans, in 2013, researchers subsequently started taking samples of freshwater. Since then, microplastics have been discovered in lakes, rivers, streams, and freshwater beaches throughout the world. In fact, the concentration of microplastics in the Great Lakes has been found to be as high as the levels in ocean gyres. You may be wondering, where do microplastics come from? The majority of the toxic confetti of microplastics began as larger plastic detritus 
leaked into the oceans or freshwater bodies, and weathered by wind, currents, and photodegradation from incessant sun exposure. A smaller but significant portion are synthetic fibers from clothing like polyester and fleece entering waterways through washing machine runoff, or plastic microbeads from cosmetic products. You may be confused like I was. My preliminary research left me puzzled by a paradox. Numerous authorities have concluded that plastic persists for centuries, even up to a thousand years if buried in a landfill. Reports describe marine microplastic debris lingering, marinating interminably in ocean gyres, collecting in the guts of fish and birds who mistake the waste for dinner, and washing up on previously untouched beaches. Meanwhile, studies also reveal that this durable plastic breaks down in the ocean, worn down by perpetual exposure to wind, currents, and heat from the sun's rays. So which is it? Do they break down readily, or do they persist in the ocean? The answer is both. They fragment into smaller and smaller pieces, but these tiny resultant pieces are still intact plastic. There is a critical distinction to be made here. Fragmentation and biodegradation are not synonymous. Plastic consists of millions of individual plastic molecules, or monomers, bound together to form plastic polymers, or chains of monomers. Plastics are persistent in the sense that the individual plastic molecules are extremely durable. They do not break into organic matter in any sort of relevant time frame. This process would be known as biodegradation. Rather, conventional plastic molecules can remain intact for an extended period of time, maybe even centuries. Plastics persist and accumulate because the plastic molecules themselves do not biodegrade. When these plastic products break down in the ocean into smaller fragments, it is the bonds between these chains of plastic molecules that are breaking down, not the individual plastic molecules themselves. The weathering from the sun and currents fragments these plastics into smaller and smaller pieces of intact plastic molecules. And the same fragmentation occurs on land. That plastic bag you see caught on a barbed wire fence flapping in the wind, may disappear from sight after a while. But what happens to the fragments? These minuscule plastics can easily become airborne and go unnoticed as they are invisible to the naked eye. We are only just beginning to discover the extent and seriousness of the problem. Until recently, we didn't understand that microplastics have invaded all corners of the earth so we weren't looking for them. If there is one thing from this blog that makes you stop and reevaluate, let this be it. This is what keeps me up at night. Airborne microplastic pollution has been discovered in frightening concentrations in cities including London, England, Paris, France, and Dogwon, China. The most recent study in London found between 575 and 1,008 plastic pieces per square meter per day. These pieces were predominantly made up of acrylic fibers, polystyrene and polyethylene, common plastics used for food packaging, were also present.
Do not take comfort believing that microplastic pollution is isolated within these cities. These are just some of the very few places that have actually been tested for microplastic contamination. Microplastic air pollution is not limited to urban environments. A research team in Scotland decided to look for airborne microplastics in a remote corner of the Pyrenees Mountains between France and Spain. Not only did they find significantly more microplastic pollution than they expected, these tiny particles were everywhere, are everywhere, literally raining down from the sky. Over a five-month period, they collected an average of 365 microplastics per square meter each day falling from the sky. Furthermore, scientists recently concluded in a 2019 study that there is significant microplastic contamination of the atmosphere. Upon analyzing snow samples taken in both the Alps and the Arctic, the team found significant microplastic pollution in both places. The microplastic found in these remotely fallen snow samples could only have originated in the atmosphere, as snow binds to airborne particles and pollutants as they fall from the sky. This research team also found that the smaller the particle size, the higher the number of particles recorded. They expressed concern that many more plastic particles probably exist that are too minuscule to be detected within their equipment's detection limit of 11 microns, about twice the size of a human red blood cell. Has inhaling microplastics become our new reality? Now that we understand that these tiny particles are carried by the wind to all corners of the earth, it should be no surprise that in a May 2019 study, scientists discovered microplastics raining from the sky even though they were not looking for them. A United States Department of the Interior study to analyze nitrogen pollution in raindrops in eight sites in Colorado unexpectedly found microplastics in over 90% of the samples. And then there are nanoplastics. These are plastic pieces less than 100 nanometers in one dimension. Particles so small that they cannot currently be detected in the environment. For context, a human hair is between 50,000 and 100,000 nanometers in diameter. Nanoplastics are a rather new phenomenon in the scientific world and are a nightmare to analytically monitor in the environment, within our food sources, and within the human body. Based on what is known about the fragmentation of microplastics, most researchers assume that microplastics continue to fragment into nanoplastics in the environment, as they do in lab experiments, but do not currently have analytical methods capable of detecting and quantifying nanoplastics in the environment. Once we do, it is believed we will find the oceans and the entire world are much more contaminated than we previously imagined. Nonetheless, while concrete data on their concentrations and the repercussions to human and animal health is pending, the outlook is not good. You may be wondering, are there other potential sources of this omnipresent nanoplastic pollution? Let's take a closer look at plastic incineration. We understand that modern incinerators are a major source of fine particulate emissions. A study analyzing the efficiency rates 
for modern incineration filters in removing particulate matter, found that while these filters are 95-98% to 98 effective at capturing the larger PM10 particles, and 65-70% to 70 effective with the medium-sized PM2.5 particles, they were only able to capture between 5 and 30% of the ultra-fine nanoparticles. These nanoparticles have diameters less than 0.1 micrometers, or 100 nanometers. Another study testing four municipal waste-to-energy plants found that 90% of the particle emissions were ultra-fine, with a diameter less than 100 nanometers. These studies were conducted in 2009 and 2012, respectively. This was before we understood the extent of the invasion of tiny nanoplastic particulates into our world, and before language surrounding nanoplastics was prevalent in the scientific world. Until recently, we didn't even understand that they were there, so we weren't looking for them. Does this not suggest that the incineration of our plastic waste, which has become a common fate for our plastic following China's 2018 plastic ban, could be a major contributor to our global nanoplastic nightmare? The problem is that these nanoparticles are so small that they can cross cell membranes and penetrate tissues and organs, they can circulate in our blood and spinal fluid, and even become lodged in our lungs upon inhalation. When ingested, chemical pollutants on the plastic can transfer into the muscle tissue of aquatic species, causing the toxicity to travel up the food chain and ultimately onto our plates. Additives within plastic, such as flame retardants, plasticizers, bisphenol A, UV stabilizers, and pigments, can transfer into our bodies in the microplastics we drink, eat, and inhale. Chemicals that linger in the aquatic environment can also attach to the plastic, namely persistent organic pollutants, such as PCBs and other heavy metals. Many of the chemicals are endocrine-disrupting chemicals. Exposure to these chemicals can alter normal hormonal functioning and has been linked with impaired reproduction, thyroid dysfunction, metabolism problems, and increased occurrence of hormone-sensitive cancers. A scientist interviewed in a Guardian article expressed my worst fear. With microplastics pouring into our environment, it is highly likely we will only find out the safe levels after we have exceeded them. When did this become normal? The issue of micro and nanoplastics is easy to ignore, to brush aside, as much of the extent of the problem we have created is invisible. If it is not visible, a mere understanding of its prevalence is the first step. There are things we as individuals can do. However, Relying solely on cleanup measures is not one of them. I've heard people dismiss the plastic problem, saying that they are cleaning up the plastic in the ocean, so what's the fuss? For starters, microplastics are practically impossible to clean up. Imagine trying to clean up gallons of glitter thrown into an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Then consider the scale of the oceans or the atmosphere. Recent estimates predict that between 15 and 51 trillion tons of plastic particles are afloat on the ocean surface. This does not even account for the plastic that is sunk or is suspended in the water column below. 
As for the current cleanup effort, the ocean cleanup, led by a Dutch student named Boyan Slot and his team, has sent a boom-like structure several kilometers long into the Pacific, intended to concentrate plastic in one place to then be removed by boats. Their efforts are laudable and should be joined by countries the world over. Yet we must take into account that the ocean cleanup mission is but one little boom conducted in a corner of one floating garbage patch of which there are so many, not to mention all the plastic in our freshwater, air, and soil. Are we really going to use this mission as an excuse to say that we no longer have a problem? Or as a justification to continue on in our wasteful ways? What about all the plastic continually making its way into the ocean, into the atmosphere, each day? Are we more preoccupied with pacifying our own guilt than actively seeking solutions? The only way we can lessen the harm caused by microplastics is to reduce our use of single-use plastic, and in doing so, stop them from entering our oceans, waterways, soil, and the atmosphere in the first place. Continual cleanup is not a viable solution. Understanding how to deal with micro and nanoplastic particles in the air is a greater challenge. I don't know if there is anything we can do about the existing airborne plastic dust, but we can absolutely address new sources. We understand that there are few places they have yet to invade, and our bodies are no exception. What are the longer-term consequences? That remains to be seen. As long as single-use plastic remains a staple of our daily lives, micro- and nanoplastic pervasion is inevitable. I, for one, am not willing to wait for additional data to confirm their danger. The omnipresence of these tiny plastic pieces speaks for itself. No matter what, we aren't going to like the answer. Up next is post four. Chasing Arrows, the fairy tale that never was. In the event that the plastic we put out in our recycle bin actually makes it to the recycling plant, our problems continue. <laughs>